Welcome to a new f- episode of Front End Happy Hour podcast. We are joined by our special guest, Anoop, to help us discuss Netflix's open source virtual JSON graph library, Falcor. Anoop, do you want to give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? I am Anoop. Um, I work on the UI platform team here at Netflix. I work on Falcor quite a bit. And my favorite happy hour beverage is milk with a shot of cold brew. Yeah, and that's good. I didn't realize you had cold brew in there too. I do. Nice. I love our cold brew. All right, well, let's also go around the table and give introduction of today's panelists. Ryan, you want to start it off? Do you still exist on this podcast? Yes, I finally did you enough favors where you let me back on. <laughs> so I'm Ryan Inklum. I'm a senior software engineer here at Netflix. And my favorite happy hour beverage lately is definitely uh, a beer called Sufferfest beer. Um, wow. They cater to runners, um, which I consider myself. So, Do you run with the beer? Not at the same time, but I'll Suffer? maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely after every run, I like to have a, a good Sufferfest. Right on. Uh, Jim Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. And I should point out that the beer run is a real thing. Like it's the beer mile. Like, yeah, the beer mile. Like you chug a beer and then run. Do they run the full mile? It's every quarter, quarter mile you drink a beer. Yeah, it doesn't sound hard, but like the sloshing. That'd be so hard. Is yeah. Like painful. Yeah. I mean, I can't run without beer. It's like I can just imagine doing that would make me sick. Yeah. A, a funny side story for that is we run an event for my son's school called the Amazing Race. And last year we had them do a burrito mile. So you oh. have to run a quarter mile, eat a Taco Bell burrito run another quarter mile. So high-end burritos. Yeah, and and they're really quality. And if you've ever tried to eat a burrito quickly while you're out of breath, a bean burrito, uh, it doesn't go well. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I've been in a banana race where you eat eat a bunch of bananas and then run. Um, It's supposed, finally they judge you on your number of bananas not on how much you ran. <laughs> I feel like you should be That's throwing sneaky. the bananas like in Mario Kart <laughs> oh, yeah, or something. Yeah. All right, enough running talk. Um, I'm uh, Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? What is that keyword? What is it? Quiet. Client. So if we say the word client at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. All right. Well, let's get started. I would love to uh, hear, maybe Anoop, you're probably the best one to describe it. What is Falcor? What is Falcor? Falcor is a way to model all your backend data as a single virtual JSON object as if it's available on the client. Cheers. 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 Sorry about that. That's okay. And that's it. So everything Falcor does, it does to further this goal of letting you pretend that all the backend data for your app is simply available in your app as a giant JSON object, which you access asynchronously. Because behind the scenes, the Falcor client does actually make those network requests. Cheers. 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 Ooh, sneaky. So what this does is your data becomes your API. There's no REST calls to make, no query parameters to fiddle with, and you just ask for the data from any place in that huge JSON schema, and Falcor gives it to you. The idea of like REST as a common interface is not 
that's not in Falcor's. Uh, yeah, Fal thing. Falcor tries to like deprecate rest, and um, d hence remove all the pain that you face. Um, like like Twitter used to have back in the day when when they were not server side rendering. If you open a Twitter page, it opens an empty page, then which is an SPA single page app makes one rest call to check who you are as a user, another one to get the tweet, another one to get your user details, another one, and, and the page would take like ages to load. What they solved with server-side rendering can be solved by server-side rendering only for the first load. Yeah. Filecore does it for all the data fetch that you're going to do for, for your app. So instead of making those separate rest calls individually, sequentially, uh, potentially, you ask Filecore for just exactly the data you need and as much data as you need, and it gets it in one go from the server. And if there's a quest later, from what I've understood too of Falcor is that if there's something missing that Falcor doesn't have in its JSON graph, it will actually go back to the server and get it, but it will also use what's already there. Is that correct? Right. Like it so, kind of caches what it already has. Absolutely. So uh, to, to achieve this grand goal of letting you pretend like all your data irrespective of how many backend servers you have, irrespective of how many databases you're storing it in. Letting you pretend all of that is just one big giant JSON object. To achieve this, Falcor defines a network protocol, defines, um, provides a server-side middleware that actually queries, queries your backend services, and a client-side model that caches the data that you get from the server. Not only that, it schedules and optimizes the server requests being made. The, the Cache is really important here for optimizing the f requests that you're going to make because you don't, you shouldn't, as a developer, you shouldn't have to care about what I already have in, uh, in my app or in my client. Cheers. Cheers. And you don't care about what's cached, what's not. You just ask for whatever you need at a moment in time and you get it. Whether or not it comes from the cache or from the network, Falcor decides. Uh, and, and Falcor optimizes. So uh, it, it, we, we can probably get to that later as well, but the JSON, the JSON graph schema that Falcor defines to let you model your data gets a huge advantage because of this cache, and the requests that you make back to the server can be ha heavily condensed and highly optimized because of the data already stored in your cache. Very cool. So, I, I mean, essentially, like a big benefit is the caching and only not having to make so many calls to the back or to the server at that point. True. Whatever it whatever it got earlier, it won't ask for again. No matter. Uh, I mean, depending on your uh, expiration policy that you specify right. within the Falcor JSON graph data model, um, it's totally not like going from this browser page to another one and then making all those requests again. It's not even like uh, going from this UI to the next and making a JSON uh, AJAX call. If you go back there again, it makes another JSON, JSON AJAX call. It's better. It's basically a long-living cache in your single-page app or your mobile app with its own expiration policy, not dependent on how you're using the UI. And that, that separates the caching concern from whether you click the link or you hit reload or you switched your view from the details page to the list view, it separates the caching concern from this walking the UI concern.
It's really cool. Any other benefits that you would share that for someone wanting to take advantage of uh, Felcor, are there other benefits that we haven't covered? Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the, the main one being performance. Yeah. So instead of asking for separate resources using REST and then combining them on the client, Falcor is, is a way where the client drives that demand. So the client defines the schema of that request, Falcor gets it in one go, and the client ren renders it. So that's a huge network performance benefit that comes uh, built in. There's uh, request batching, request path optimizing using the cache, no sequential rest calls, all of that is the performance bucket. There's ergonomics, which basically, uh, because of separating the actual network requests from your demand of data, Falcor can add value in the middle. Falcor can let you um, simply specify the retry behavior, for example. So Falcor will retry that data for you because you're not the one making the actual Ajax call. It's being managed by Falcor. So Falcor can retry on it as many times as you would like it to and give you the data eventually. Uh, there's, uh, it's, it's a much simpler model where instead of depending on the network, instead of knowing or caring about the network and the problems with network, the issues with network that you may be having, your code is becomes mainly a request for data yeah. and just getting that data. So it's a simpler mental model. And then um, to wrap it all, it's an asynchronous API which supports promises. And so you can just do async, use async and await and pretend as if the data was actually a local JSON object. That's really cool. I, I can see so much performance improvements right there. I'm like, yeah, that will cut down on a lot of things. That's awesome. And Falcor is scalable. Like Falcor is used extensively at Netflix to for our data modeling. Oh yeah, it's, so like, uh, it's battle tested. Totally. Like like we've been we've, Netflix has been developing Falcor for five plus years now, and it it got open sourced only recently, like maybe two years ago. Yeah. But. We've been working on it for, for a very long time. It's totally battle-tested all of the requests, which are not streaming from all Netflix apps, are actually Falco requests. That's it. That's really cool. So all the all the apps in Netflix are actually using Falcor to deliver the data that, that the customer's actually seen, metadata that's like movies, TV shows. Your list of movies, yeah. your scrollable list, uh, um, details page of a title, all of that. It's, it's all data that comes from Falcor, yeah. M serving many, many thousands of requests per second for all of Netflix. And it seems to be working because people are using <laughs> Netflix, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I won't tell you when it doesn't work, but <laughs> but, but that's, what, that's what we are here for. Like, my team is exactly responsible for maintaining this, this library and fixing the bugs that people see, upgrading its um, functionality, and it's, it's working very well for what it was defined to do. And as and when we see opportunities to take on more work or more functionality for the library that makes life easier for the developers, that, that work is always ongoing. That's really cool. Yeah, so it's something that's living and breathing within Netflix. We're not just using it once, and then we are actually fixing things and making it better. Yeah, yeah. Great. Who should be using uh, Falcor? Obviously, Netflix is using it, but who, who's the right person that should be investigating to use this in their company or in a project? Who should really be using it? Absolutely amazing question. So the point of Falcor is when you have a client app. Cheers. Cheers. Good catch. 
I mean, I said it. (laughs) 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 Who should be using Falcor? Falcor is when you need client-side demand driven data. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't catch that one. That's horrible. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you said it, right? (laughs) Yeah. So if your need is where the client needs to access data, potentially from a bunch of sources, uh, where you have a bunch of microservices which you want to tag behind a front-end API service that the client app uses. Cheers. That's Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. That's the perfect case for Falco to be used. I mean, it's a total mind shift compared to the REST ideology. It's, it's a total mind shift, shift that comes bundled with Falcor that, that you have to kind of overcome and, and absolutely should make sure that there is good reason for you to be going through that mind shift. shift. So if your client wants to... Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> if your app wants to <laughs> drive the demand for data, asking specifically for one or more pieces of data per view, Valcor will already provide you a benefit in that very generic case. What if your app uses a lot of transactional data? So you get some data, change some data, and send data back to the server. Is Falcor a good fit for something like that? Yep. So, so there's three three key operations in Falcor. Get, set, and call. Get is for reads. Set is for writes. Both idempotent. And then a third one called call is for when you want to make an arbitrary service call to the backend. Kind of like how RPC used to work. Or, or kind of like how REST post works, where you could be making a web service call that does a bunch of things. I guess is there also a benefit, because I, I mean, we talked about single page applications. Is there a benefit, like I think even Ryan asking the like get and post, what if it's not a single page, you've got like multiple pages, do you experience any benefit for using something like Falcor? That's when you would experience a lot of benefit from using Falcor on the server side. Okay. So not only can you use the Falcor library on the client side, you can use Falcor. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> you can use Falcor on the server side, where the server side co- component would be responsible for getting data from multiple backend sources. Yeah. Munging them all into what the client app needs. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> And that ships to the phone. Phone, app, <laughs> website, whatever. <laughs> I like that. No, that's really cool because that was one I always wondered too is like if there's a benefit. Because I always think of the single page application made a lot of sense to me where I'm like, yeah, that, that makes a sense. You're not making all these requests to the server, but you can still make requests to the data and get that. But I, that makes sense that it could also help the performance on the server even if it was making multiple page requests. So say, say GitHub. Uh, as an application. Yeah. A page showing a file contents does not only show the file contents, shows a bunch of other stuff like collaborators on the right side, maybe comments on, on the file or commit information, app information, and, and so on. Filecon on the server can bring data in through multiple sources, yep. put them into this one server-side rendered page that shows up. How does this benefit performance from the Filecore cache now, yeah. it does. Because when you now switch your view, yeah. the request for the next page will be faster because the Filecore cache on the server 
already has some of the data it needs for that page. Right. So if you were like contributor list, it's already there. It's like, cool, we already have that information. Um, and if there was a new contributor being added or to another repo or something, it would just only make a request for that little bit of data that it's missing. Exactly. Does the uh, Falker cache take advantage of any client side storage as well? So if you did Cheers. a page refresh, you would already have that cache from previous requests sitting in the client already? Or is it only stateless? So after you refresh the page, would you lose that client side cache? So by default, it's in memory and hence stateless. You would lose that. But uh, Falco provides the tooling that uh, you can use to do that storage yourself. You can always ask for the Falcor cache doing Falcor model.getCache and then store it and then reload it back when you instantiate your model again on the next startup. Very cool. So I would, just because I work at Netflix doesn't mean I'm the Netflix fanboy, I, I would argue that like the downside of using Falcor is it introduces complexity that someone may not need if they have a very simple base web app. Because like Falcor, even JSON graph is like a different way of thinking about a problem that most people aren't familiar with. Whereas REST, Everybody knows REST. It's also pretty straightforward to implement, too. Like a REST call is a lot easier to implement than probably Falcor. It, it yeah. is taking a lot more effort to implement Falcor in a, in a project or app. Yeah, it's an abstraction uh, over JSON, right? You're yeah. One abstraction away from. Yeah. So I, I say that because there's a lot of people that are just getting new to JavaScript listening to this podcast. And I don't want to be like, I got a project uh, I knew from Netflix says, like, I should be using <laughs> Falcor right now. And then they'll get lost trying to implement it rather than like building something. Yeah, definitely don't do that if what you're if you're making your first web app, for example. Yeah. I mean Falcor solves a specific problem with scaling your web app across uh, for performance and across a bunch of different sources of data like microservices. Don't use Falcor if you're making your first personal website. Now you, you mentioned uh, pain with Falcor versus REST, and that's, right. and, that, and that's totally right. It's basically an abstraction over REST, or an abstraction over making those network requests yourself. And so that abstraction has a learning curve cost, and you, you've, got to, you've got to know when it's useful to you. And, and specifically, that's why we want to be sure these are the pros, this is what you get, and if that's not your pain, don't use Falcor. Right, because yeah. you're adding another abstraction that you're going to have to deal with. Yeah. So, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, so we just say, like, summarize, if you don't know if you need Falcor, then you probably don't need Falcor. I think if you're at the level, you're like, I have a lot of, like, I need to build a scalable system with lots of different uh, data layers in there, and I want to unify that. Yeah, Falcor is a good approach to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Falcor solves complexity with having all those data layers or microservices, don't introduce Falcor as a complexity. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's actually a perfect explanation is don't introduce it as a complexity. I think yeah. that's a fair summary of why, when to use it and when not to. We don't do that a lot in front end land. We just like implement tools because someone said so. Yeah. Without thinking like, this is actually like a lot of people, Webpack is overkill. Webpack like, sounds very don't. cool and it's like, it's, it's great. But oftentimes when I start a project, I tend to not use it because it is adding more complexity than I actually need for what I'm trying to achieve. Yes, is Webpack great? Is Falcor great? Yes. But is it something that I'm going to implement in every project I do? Probably not, because those are complexities that I just don't want to have to deal with. And it's probably not, the benefit's probably not there. Yeah. I mean, we see, at Netflix, we see people do take-home exercises for interviews. 
and they'll come back with Webpack, Babel, Gulp, <laughs> and five lines of JavaScript. And they, you, they clearly spent all their time on tooling and setup and then didn't think about the actual problem they're trying to solve. Right. Um, I feel exactly like that for front-end UI frameworks too. I mean, simply, simply everybody's adding React even to their static pages. As soon as you add React and you want look up the first tutorial on using React, it includes Webpack, it includes Babel, it includes a bunch of all the other stuff that you don't know about when you're starting out. And if anything breaks, you have no clue what broke. I mean, well, and yeah, also yeah. I think to Ryan's point too is like sometimes you end up spending so much time setting up your environment just yeah. to just to say hello world. Yeah, and you're yeah. exhausted by the time you get this yeah. environment set up. You're not ready to write write the rest of the code that you wanted to write in the first place. Here, which is why it's great listening to this podcast because it tells you all this stuff you should have known before using that new shiny. <laughs> <tool. laughs> So an, another one that comes up, and actually, uh, I was just at a conference in San Francisco uh, called Reactathon. There was a lot of presentations on a library called GraphQL, uh, which is, is similar to uh, Falcor. Yeah. It's created out of Facebook. I'm interested to hear, like, what what are the differences and similarities that GraphQL and Falcor are trying to solve? So GraphQL came out about. Uh, I mean, I mean, around the time that Filecore came out into open source, yeah. and I'm sure they had been working on it before open sourcing it as well. So uh, Netflix started on solving the same pain, but took a little bit of a different approach and solved its own pain first, and then finally open sourced it. What you see with... Uh, so I, I do want to mention that GraphQL seems to have picked up a lot more steam than Filecore. And is kind of emblematic of this going beyond rest as 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 a domain and falcor is solving that pain for netflix and for anybody else who wants to use it use it in a slightly different way what what what's the difference what's the difference there so graphql takes a very heavily statically typed approach where which is good in in many ways so the contract between the client GraphQL server, cheers. Cheers. cheers, cheers, and the backend services is set in stone using the statically typed schema that yeah. you have with GraphQL. That is where the main difference with Falcor lies. So Falcor intentionally takes a gradually typed approach. It's not statically typed, and you can add constraints, but you don't have to make the entire schema and each value have types. Now, now that gives Netflix a specific advantage for Netflix's use case, and your mileage may vary, but that is the uh, one of the key differences. I want to point out that what is this flexibility advantage that, that I'm referring to here? So with GraphQL, say you change a backend service to now provide a separate, different Type. You change the type of your API from the backend service. You have to change that now in your GraphQL server and your client. Versus with Falcor, which serves as this, this middleware layer between the backend services and the client. Cheers. Cheers. You don't necessarily have to do that. The middleware layer can simply be moving values as is to the client app. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>
Definitely client was a good choice for words here. Yeah. I don't know who came up with it. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's more interesting is that GraphQL and Falcor came out about the same time, which they means did. like two different companies came up with similar solutions to solving like a complex problem of how to access data across multiple sources. Yeah, and, th and that keeps happening, right? Like uh, these tech companies, they run these issues with complexity, they have these problems, and since there is no given solution, they start on those problems and come up with these different approaches, which become kind of the, the competing specs. And finally, way in the future, something standardizes, and then the world simply uses that, like maybe REST. Say. Oh, that's, that's a pretty good model for, for innovation too, in, in my opinion. Like Falcor's main problem to solve was this complexity that you see only at scale. And so it had to originate at companies which are facing that pain. And it's, it's great that there's competing approaches and there's following for these different approaches. It's more like validation of the idea. If two, two smart companies came up with the same idea, essentially, means like it's a pretty good idea. Well, and I think it's really funny because I actually remember, like, I was at Netflix when we released Falcor, and I remember we were, we started to realize, I think just before we released it, that uh, we started talking with Facebook before they <laughs> released GraphQL. I was like, wait, we really kind of solved similar problems here, uh, but it is cool. It's like we both kind of came at this problem and really came out with something that, that's similar, but a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it takes, it takes the the industry forward in that in that domain absolutely of, of network access you also don't want to have just one solution either because like there are there are subtle differences between the two and so i so i've always made the joke is like if you're building a facebook application go use uh graphql <laughs> if you're building something that's more like netflix go use falcor but i mean that's not an easy that's not the perfect <laughs> answer but yeah it's one way to look at it I mean, as long as you know the trade-offs you're making yeah. in right. both cases, I mean, you can. I think you can make a, a good choice. Yeah, I still think most people don't need it either, and but I, cause I still see people giving talks on like GraphQL and they give it at conferences. But Facebook and Netflix are at a scale that most people will never achieve, and they're just so quick to throw data handling libraries on top of that. It's just, I don't know. I still like just preach caution. It's like know what you're doing before you get into it because it's hard to back out of it. Because you've like invested so much at this point. Absolutely, and and you kind of, once you start investing a little bit of time, it's like it just becomes a slippery slope. Yeah, that you you can then you have to do that. So yeah, yeah, guys, use document.getElementById. Yeah, everyone, it works. Right? Yeah, it does work. It still does, and it worked like years and years ago, and it's still going to work for a while. So it makes a lot of sense. Not that we use IDs. A very very heated heated point on the so, show. No, no. All right, if you you just open the topic, <laughs> you can use IDs. Yes. Just don't style the IDs. Put a class on that for your CSS. Don't tell Brian Holt that. Brian Holt and I have had this discussion many many <laughs> times, and I feel like I've won this argument, but. It's like, don't style an ID. It's a painful, painful thing to be doing. If you want to reference an ID in, from JavaScript, go for it. I'm all for it. But yeah, don't do it on, don't style it. How do you feel about web fonts, right? Oh, man. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, that's you the just ride another episode. rant. Yes, yeah, so I'll do that some other day. What can we expect in the future of Falcor? I know, Anoop, you've been working on this for a while. There's new features. What, what are some things that you're excited about? So we're working on pushing Falcor back into the stack, further back. So right now, Falcor 
was started out mainly as a client server thing. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> but we are pushing it back in the stack now and involving more and more Falcor between server communications as well. And and that's still ongoing. There's there's more details coming soon, like maybe in a I don't want to give a time frame, but soon. Yeah. And that's really exciting. Like going back in the, into the stack with Falcor as a network protocol, it kind of validates the idea that we began with. And that is a tremendously exciting um, new avenue where these concepts of thinking of services instead as data are going to be really useful. That's really cool. Yeah. And so that's that's a TBD when we're going to see more of that or? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah uh, TBD, but soon. I mean, I mean it's, uh, it's nearing to a good point where we can uh, pull it out and show it off to the world. Great. Yeah. So you need to like go back to work on that. We shouldn't be interrupting you in your work right now, but uh, <laughs> that's exciting. And that will be really cool to see. What advice would you give people who are starting with Falcor? You know, th there's definitely people that are listening that I, I think there are, are probably, we said, you know, be advised when you should use it, but there are probably people that would value from using Falcor. So what, what advice would you give them getting started? To get started first, RTFM. Yeah. Then maybe... Uh, just, just like the first first thing that you have to think of is whether it's the right tool for what you want to achieve. Yeah. And to help that thought process, maybe uh, just familiarize yourself with this mind shift that it brings to the table, which is thinking of services as a schema for data. Now, uh, the the difference can be like conceptually brought down to a function call versus an object. REST and RPC in the old days, they used to be, uh, RPC more specifically, used to be basically a function call. Yeah. And that's what it's literally named after, remote procedure call. But now Falcor is letting you do what that function call used to do, but letting you think of it as if accessing properties on an object. And that's the mind shift that this brings. I mean, taking a simple use case that we recently had with, with search, for example. Yeah. Search seems to be very clearly clearly something like a function call where send in your search string and get the results back. That's, that's pretty obvious. But with Falcor, the mind shift brings in the following implementation, which we actually use at Netflix, which is imagine an object with keys being the entire possibility space for a search string that a user could type. I mean, you don't have to actually have such an object, but as a, as schema or as simply as a mental model, imagine an object searches and then keys A, A, B, A, B, C, N, E, T, F, L, all of these as different keys with their value being the search result for that key. And this is how you actually access uh, search results using Falcor. You just ask for the value against the key, which is your search string. And uh, since Falcor on the server lazily evaluates the JSON graph object, it's totally possible to do this and performs functionally in the same way that a call, uh, a web service call would behave or would perform 
providing the extra benefits that now this is data and can be cached. And the caching characteristic of this data can be much more granularly defined. So for example, maybe you decide that a search for the keyword space has these results and there's no new title on Netflix that has come out with that keyword. And so that can be cached for longer versus a search query for the keyword lost. Maybe there's much more titles coming out with lost in their name. And so that can be cached for a different amount of time than the result for <coughs> space. And it gives you much more granular caching advantages. That's really cool. Awesome. Anything else that you would add for someone getting started? Is there some like good spot where they can get documentation or where, where, how does someone get started with Falcor? It's just exactly where everything else that Netflix open sources lives at. It's netflix.github.io slash Falcor. And even if you just Google Falcor, F-A-L-C-O-R, it should take you to the right place. Right on. Great. At the end of each episode, we like to share picks of things that we found interesting uh, that we want to share with our listeners. Let's go around the table and share our picks. Anoop, do you have uh, picks to share with our listeners? I do. I do have this amazing paper I've just finished reading, which is the IPFS peer-to-peer -peer file system. And I definitely recommend checking it out for everybody who can grok it. Its links is in the show notes. And IPFS is this interplanetary file system, which is a peer-to-peer -peer way of distributing files and is kind of the center of the decentralized internet movement, so to say. That's really cool. Yeah, there's, uh, there's this Netflix show I've been watching recently called Everything Sucks. <laughs> it's uh, just one show. season. It's amazing. I mean, my, me and my wife, we watched it together, all of it. And it's just, it's such a great throwback. Especially, yeah, if you've grown up in the 90s, that show is awesome. There's so many good 90s references. I mean, I saw the trailer for it, and I was like, I wanted to watch it because it was all 90s-based uh, stuff. So I'm glad to hear both of you say it's so good. It's awesome. It's, all right. I, I actually, I grew up in India. Yeah. And we didn't have all this fancy high school stuff going on in our life back when we were in high school in India because it was more about studies. It was less about relationships and so on. I mean, just to be <laughs> <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> subtle about it. But uh, the show shows how we back in school used to think of the Western world. Yeah. And it's just uh, very nicely done. Was the picture painted pretty well then? Is like very true? <laughs> I mean, the picture that we had was a, was, a, was a rough, very rough sketch versus this is a nice, nuanced, detailed look that makes me feel better and makes me feel uh, really good about high school relationships, actually. All right. That's cool. <laughs> well, I got bad news for you all. You know, Everything Sucks was canceled. <gasps> oh, it, they, yeah, I guess you didn't know. Yes. Netflix canceled it after one season. Sorry, man. Just ruined, I just ruined your day. <laughs> can I say fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yes, oh, yeah, you can. No. Everything's yeah. <laughs> shit. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I still want to watch it, but that's actually depressing is that I won't, I'll get into That's it really and then depressing. not be able to see it more. I've heard the, the season doesn't end on a, like it doesn't end, it's more of a open-ended ending. Yeah. I haven't seen mm -hmm. it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. There's this podcast, um, the, the third pick, the final pick that I have, yeah. is there's this podcast I've been listening to pretty 
religiously called the daily i mean it's mm. it's in uh, i've heard of it yes it, it's it's on itunes top yeah. list as well and so on but it's just really really good uh, it it's it's it summarizes what's going on in the world and us specifically in a very humane way it like focuses on one topic gives you all the sides the guy uh, michael barbaro is just an amazing yeah has an amazing voice very cool yeah i've he- i've heard it a few times it is very good i like that one jem what do you have uh i have three picks um the first two picks are kind of an old one uh, i like to go to the gym and i like to work out um but like i'm a guy i sweat a lot so i use bluetooth headphones which are just like in ear they fit in and you know i don't get sweaty or anything yeah um but the problem is i like i go through headphones really quickly they just like break or i lose them or something like that so i found uh these headphones called jarve and motion they are ten dollars and they're fantastic they're just bluetooth headphones just the dangle or the dongle it just plugs into your ear really easy but on their own, they kind of like just okay. But I found these Compli earplugs. Compli makes um, like yeah earbuds for uh, phones. Um, but you put them together, and it's like a fantastic sound uh, quality. It, for twenty dollars, you have like these probably hundred, two hundred dollars sounding Bluetooth headphones, and they're fantastic. So they're probably better than the AirPods, is what you're saying? They're better than AirPods. I don't see how people work out with AirPods, like. Does nobody get sweaty at the gym? All right, so as a side note, if I see anybody at <laughs> the gym wearing like full cup Beats headphones, I assume they're not working out because like <laughs> men get sweaty and like it would just ruin your headphones. So why would you wear those to the gym? That's probably me. I'd wear those because I probably am not working out very oh. hard. <laughs> I, I, I give my girlfriend uh, grief sometimes because she'll like come home from the gym not sweaty at all. I was like, did you? Did you work out? <laughs> She's like, yeah. That's, that's, me. that's like, really me. Yeah. The, I, I watch the TV and I'm like, yeah, that, I'm more into that. You're one of those people on the treadmill. It's like walking. Just like slowly walking. Just walking. On like, Twitter. Why are you yeah, here? Yeah. Um, At least you're there. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I wanna, I'm not. <laughs> so I want to share a life hack that we recently figured out with AirPods. So we have we have a, a one-year-old baby. Well, yeah. My one-year-old old daughter called Aida. And my wife and I... We want to play music in the car, but we can't play it because she's sleeping or just going to be very cranky about some music. So what we do is we share one piece each of the AirPod (laughs) and we play music in the car with the AirPod and the baby doesn't get to know it. And we just this is a a brilliant life hack that I don't think has been publicized enough. No, that's pretty good. I'm like, I should actually try that. Though, again, I've also had my son listening to rap music. He like quieted down when hypnotized biggie was like his biggest like song like and he's still like if he's upset i turn that on and a second later he's like happy i'm like this is great that's really good to know because we have such a song for for my daughter and i'm really worried that she's gonna really really hate us for not knowing why she likes this song so much and it's probably because you're like we just kept playing that for you yeah Yeah, and and it it, it always cheers her up it's uh, it's, what's the song uh, it's it's an it's an it's a Punjabi Indian song awesome. called London to Makta. Oh, that could be my that, fourth that's pick. A, that's a fourth pick. I like it. Yeah, right on. From a movie called Queen. My final pick. No, I don't have any life hacks. I should put more life hacks in there. Yeah, like uh, my final pick. Uh, I usually do an episode or a segment called Valley Silicon, where I point out absurd things that happen in Silicon Valley, just just because people have too much money, and they. Juicero is, is a good example of like. $700 machine that like shouldn't exist um, but I'm gonna suspend that for this week because like I have a show that just like made me so irate uh, and it's on Netflix so it's like my Netflix anti-pick 
Uh, it's a show called Fastest Car, um, and it's supposed to be sleeper cars versus a supercar. And you're like, oh yeah, that's a good premise. Sounds for a like show. A, I mean, I, I I bought into it. I yeah. watched it, and yeah. Well, I'll let you finish. <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, we're all like motorheads. We like we enjoy our vehicles. Um, and I like shows about cars, but this show is just like it's terrible. It, it's it's <laughs> like 45 minutes of like backstory, and then it's like a 30 second race at the end, and it's just so, it's such a letdown. You're like, why? We could have done this in a 15 minute show and like been just as happy. Also, they don't define sleeper cars properly. It's like any car that's not a supercar, they're like sleeper car. I'm like, that car is two turbos sticking out of its engine and like a giant NOS tank. That's not a sleeper car. A sleeper is a car that does not look fast but is fast. Yeah. Sorry. Like, uh, this is this is my rant. Even section. the first even the first episode they had a van, like a minivan. It's like Okay, maybe that could be a sleeper, but it's like slammed to the ground. It's got rims. It's like, come on. It, yeah. They had a sleeper and it was like the supercharger was sticking out of the engine. I'm like, that's not a sleeper car. It's no. like an automobile cutlass with a supercharger. I know that car is going to be fast. Not a sleeper. <laughs> Sorry. That, that's my rant. That's what I use the podcast for, for rants mainly. I learned a lot. <laughs> I didn't know what sleeper car meant, and I know it now. Well, if you watch that show, they, they don't do a good they job. They don't do a good that, job. So. <laughs> yeah. Jeff's definition is a lot more the way I would picture it. So. Yes. Sorry. Sorry for my rant, everybody. All right. End of Gem Rant. Ryan, what do you have for us? Um, so my first pick is a website that I'm developing right now. I'm using React, Webpack, Babel, Redux, um, and it's www.saveeverythingsucks.com. Um, <laughs> I like that. So let's all go there and uh, urge our employer to save that show because it is awesome it's not a real website everybody typed it we all just you typed won. it it is not you won. not yet you, you better buy better. that domain <laughs> i gotta have that domain bought before this yeah. website or this podcast goes live all right um, my second pick is a book called the orphan master's son um, i'm usually a big sci-fi reader but uh, this book absolutely blew my mind with how well written it is um, it's a book about loyalty about duty about love and it is just an amazing book. I highly, highly recommend this book. Um, and the second pick is a movie called The Barkley Marathons, The Race That Eats Its Young. And it is this race that happens um, up in the mountains, I think it's Tennessee, um, Frozen Head State Park. And it is five 20-mile loops. Um, and you get 60 hours to complete it. The race route itself is unmarked it's only partially on the trails and only i believe 15 people have ever completed this race and it's been going on for years and years and years um, and it's just the documentary shows just how hard this race really is and brutal it really is and it's <clears throat> it's just um an amazing thing to watch and just to see how hard these people have to try to finish even a single loop um, and what they go through during this race is amazing I have seen it twice. It is an excellent documentary, like worth watching. I'm excited to see it. I'm like, I'm really intrigued. What's the name again? The Barkley Marathons. Awesome. Um, we used to have it in Netflix, um, but it's out of window right now. So hopefully oh, it comes back. Yeah. I was just going to ask him like, is it on Netflix? <laughs> it's great. It's like seeing people push to their absolute limit, like as far as they can go and then past it. Wow. Like the people that finish are just like staggering across the line like they they don't like know what's going on because they've been up for how many hours are you up like 36 hours? 60 hours to finish the race yeah. so finish five yeah. loops and there's people that finish like just in time so that they've been up for like three or four days like running though up a hill it, yeah 
One guy finished the race, and I believe it was within a minute of the cutoff, so he did not get credit for it. Oh, 60 wow. hours. Just walked up to the line. and I feel like I'd want to just drag him across the finish line. Like I'm like, help, come help you. My, my favorite thing is the um, every year they invite. So it's invitation only, but or you can apply, but like they have to select you. But every year they pick someone who has absolutely no business being there. Like this person is not qualified to run this race, and they put them in there anyways just to be mean. That poor soul. That's, yeah, it's I don't know, sad. I have a feeling that could be Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that would definitely be We should be sign me. Ryan up. Or Ryan Anklum. Yeah. Just sign up. He can at least run. I'd be the poor sucker that wouldn't even make it. I like, wouldn't even go. Feet. I'd be like, look up the mountain and be like, no. Ryan it is a very intimidating the... race. He would. He would. There you go. Well, let's sign him up. All right, two picks. My first one is actually a Mac application that helps a lot for like meetings. If you're in a lot of meetings, it ends up being a little tooltip uh, at the top of your Mac screen. The app is called Up Next. The cool thing is, is it shows you what your next meeting is, how many minutes till your next meeting. But it's also cool is you can click on it and it does a little drop down that shows you all the meetings that are coming up. And you can also click on one of them if you're using uh, uh, Google Calendar, it will throw you into the into the Hangout right away. So I, I find that really useful because I hate clicking into Google Calendar, then like clicking the join meeting. This way, it just like throws you right in. It's really really cool. I found that useful. I've using I've been using it for a couple weeks now and have found it really useful. And then my second pick is Electron, which is really, really cool to be able to write Mac apps. I'd never really looked at it as, I guess I just never really had the use for using it. And I'd recently been building an application that really made sense as a standalone Mac app. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'll give Electron a try. Super easy to get spun up and running on it. Like a hello world took me a couple minutes and I was up and running. I didn't have to have Webpack and Babel and everything installed. It was it was pretty quick and easy uh, to get up and running. My only beef with it is I wish the documentation was a little better. I feel like a lot of open questions. Like I would, did a lot of searches when I would have problems, and there was not a lot of like great answers or like you had to really search for good answers and i feel like it like simple problems that they could have just addressed but other than that i've been i've been pretty impressed with it what blows my mind about electron is it lets you treat a web page like a mac app and then you include a script tag in that web page yeah and inside the code for that script tag saying say slash main js you can have node.js code Absolutely. inside scripting through it as a script tag that's yeah. that's pretty insane it, it was pretty it's like pretty cool and it acts as like a node server and talking from the client cheers um, <laughs> i had to throw that in there to the, the the node server is like you're you're kind of using like a message bus to talk between the two um it works fairly well uh but it's it's interesting so uh, i definitely recommend trying it out i know a lot of times a web app is actually sufficient. So it's like, why why make a Mac app? Uh, but if you have a use case for it, it's worth trying out. It's really cool. Maybe you just want to suck everybody's RAM like Slack does. I mean, that's a, that is an Electron app, and, <laughs> and that's a good way to put it. Yes, I won't, I won't even comment on that one. Before we end the episode, I want to thank our guest Anoop for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you. Where can people get in touch with you? I am async Anoop on Twitter and GitHub. Um, I am... I identify myself as quite a bit of a JS guy, so that's and my brain works like a JS asynchronous callback as well, <laughs> and I never know what time it is for real. Yeah, 
So my Twitter handle is async Anoop. That's A-S-Y-N-C-A-N-U-P. Right on. Before we end the episode, also, where can people get in touch with the panelists? Ryan? Um, I am on Twitter as BittersweetRyan. I'm on Twitter as at Jem Young. And I'm on Twitter at Burgess D. Ryan. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to Front End Happy Hour Podcast on whatever podcast catcher you like to use. Follow us on Twitter at FrontendHH. Any last words? Any podcast client, you mean? Yeah. Uh, cheers. <laughs> cheers. That was a missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs>